I'm going to tag team with Dat today, so I don't say anything sacrilegious about the um, about the content. <laughs> Thank you for coming back after uh, after last week. And I brought a different laptop, so hopefully this one cooperates more. Uh, so Second Corinthians. Last week we talked about First Corinthians. Now it's time for Second Corinthians. Maybe. It's thinking. Um, so what are the four questions that we go over? It's pretty much the same. Oh, nope, just kidding. Those are the answers. <laughs> um, so we're going to go over who wrote it, when it was written, why it was written, and where it was written. The usual, the usual suspects. I'm just going to let it think for a second. <coughs> All right, who remembers who wrote 1 Corinthians? Paul. <laughs> yeah, that's Paul. Literally the person who's written everything we've studied so far. Um, who remembers when 1 Corinthians was written? Randall does. Anybody else? Ephesus? It was written in Ephesus. Um, does anyone remember the year? Roughly. 50-ish, yeah. So, um, it was written in, we're guessing, 54, plus or minus. Um, so, 2 Corinthians was written a year later. Oh. Also, two corrections from last week. One, <laughs> uh, Paul did not write Acts. I said multiple times that Paul wrote Acts. He did not. He wrote Acts. Luke. Yes. Um, and then secondly, I said that Timothy delivered all of Paul's letters incorrect. Uh, another T, it was Titus. Um, well, Paul was with, with Luke for about 20 and a half months, so I, I right. <laughs> <laughs> Paul was the main character in Acts, so I was half right. I thought that's what you meant. <laughs> um, so, if you remember, Paul's second missionary journey was definitely the longest and heftiest. Um, so uh, we're still talking about the same time that he spent in Corinth, which was about 52, uh, part of his missionary journey. And then he wrote 1 Corinthians in Ephesus, which was his next stop. Um, he spent a couple of years in Ephesus. And does anyone remember how long he spent in Corinth? Roughly. A year and a half. A year and a half, yeah. It's in the Bible, a year and a half. That's how we know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so here is a map of the second missionary journey. Maybe. Well, technology just hates me. So, um, if y'all will remember, here's Corinth, and then, boop, across the Aegean Sea. Um, so. We have studied a couple of his stops so far. We're still talking about Corinth. Um, does anyone remember how many letters Paul probably wrote? Four, yes. So first and second Corinthians are the two that we have that are in the Bible. Um, he wrote letters before each of those, which are lost to us. So he wrote a warning letter before first Corinthians, and then he wrote the letter of tears, and then 2 Corinthians. 
Um, we're guessing he those are additional letters based off of what he he references them in first and second Corinthians. So second Corinthians was probably written somewhere in well it was written in Macedonia. Um, probably in Philippi or Thessalonica, Thessalonica. Um, so he is still on his missionary journey. So his home base was Ephesus. So we don't, every single visit, we don't map out because that would be very confusing. But he did, um, let me go back to that. You know what? Let's just go to the next one. Um, so he also references this in Second Corinthians. He spent time in Ephesus, but he popped back over to Macedonia by way of Greece, um, just to like say hi, basically. Um, so because they were short visits and they weren't, uh, he didn't go there in order to spread the good news. We don't consider it part of the part of the journey. But even though his home base was Ephesus. He crossed the Achaean Sea, or Aegean Sea, popped up in Macedonia. Um, so, uh, we think that the visit that um, he spent to Corinth right here, um, in between First and Second Corinthians, is the painful visit, which he references in Second Corinthians. And after the painful visit, and one of the reasons we think it's painful was because he didn't announce that he was coming, and so uh, the Corinthian church was caught with their metaphorical pants down. Um, so, crosses the sea to Corinth. Um, things have kind of gone haywire. It was a painful visit. He writes the letter of tears, and he pops up to Macedonia to see his beloved Thessalonica church and the Church of Philippi. So one of those two locations is probably where he wrote Second Corinthians. So what has happened since First Corinthians? Um, as previously explained, the painful visit happened, which he talks about in Second Corinthians. And also we can glean through context clues that the Corinthian church has pretty much rejected Paul's authority. Um, so, in 1 Corinthians, he talked about how there were some other missionaries that had come to the church, and, like, the church, um, was struggling with division, because some people said, I like Paul the most, some people said, I like Apollos the most, some people said, I like Cephas or Peter the most, um, um, Oh, no. <laughs> um, so, uh, also through context clues, we can glean that the reason that they rejected Paul's authority was because Paul wasn't a very eloquent speaker. Uh, he didn't dress particularly well. Uh, he was functionally homeless um, because he, he would earn his keep, but he didn't have a home base, per se. Um, so for all of these reasons, people were like, no, we're, this, another guy is much more eloquent, um, much better dressed, we're going to believe him over this guy, Paul. So one of the reasons um, Paul writes is basically to say, like, 
So what? Why are you going to believe this guy just because he sounds better and looks better? And, that, and that's, you know, a cultural background in the Greek city-states and in Rome, the, they were very much into uh, what we call prosperity theology. So that... What? what? <laughs> Thank you for that lead-in. Right. Um, so, one of the reasons why he wrote this was to invert prosperity gospel. Who in like a sentence can explain what prosperity gospel is? Because we still have it today. Yeah. God blesses you with material wealth when you're faithful. Right. Um, which is the reason why last week I was like, Joel Osteen's a big problem because he preaches prosperity gospel. Well, I, actually, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit more than that. Prosperity theology, sorry, jumping in, is you're, God is forced to bless you if you're faithful. It's not that he, because we all believe that God controls everything. Prosperity theology is if I follow what God says, he is forced to make me rich. So therefore, rich is good, poor is bad. Because poor means you're not following God. And that's, I mean, that is, our, our most modern name is Joel Olstein, but that's also uh, very much in the, in the Greek culture of the day. So if you dressed well, uh, if you were a very smooth speaker, uh, if you had money, that means God loves you. Paul, as, as Becca says, is the description we have, he's very skinny, he's not a good speaker, he works as a leather worker in, in the blue-collar area, so he's not one that you kind of look at and go, wow, this, this is the prophet of God. And he actually says, like, I dress badly and I'm a bad speaker, so <laughs> but this isn't something that we're, like, he, he straight up said it about himself. That's why um, Josh doesn't wear a suit, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, there's an actual Instagram account, Preachers and Sneakers. Uh, I highly recommend everyone follow. I don't know if Josh has ever made an appearance or if he wears sneakers, but anyway. So, theme of comfort. Uh, Paul uses the word comfort ten times in five verses in the very beginning of the book. Um, it's very clear that he sort of has a an overarching theme for each of his books, and th the theme of Second Corinthians is comfort. Um, he talks about how he has suffered, and because he has suffered, he is better able to provide comfort because it, he has, you know, it's no longer, it's no longer sympathy, it's empathy because he experienced it himself. So he is able to um, better provide comfort to other people. Um, and because he... Um, because he in he is very formulaic in the way he writes his letters, um, in his uh, greeting, he doesn't just talk about the Corinthian church. He talks about all of the Achaean Peninsula. So from that, we're able to glean that um, there has been some evangelizing happening. So it's not just people in the city anymore. It's people in the entire region. Um, that have been brought to Christ. So he greets all of those people, not just the Corinthian church. So he's speaking to new converts besides the people that he converted himself in the first Corinthians letter. 
So I want to talk about the word comfort um, because something is lost in translation when it goes from Greek in which Paul was writing to English. So the closest word to periclesis is comfort. However, um, in the Greek, it means more than just comfort. Um, sometimes it's um, sometimes it's translated to console. So that sort of um, in, in Greek, uh, paraclesis really encompasses, um, so all of these things, um, to draw someone, to call someone near to you, um, to exhort strongly or to console. All of these sort of fall under the umbrella of paraclesis or comfort. So um, to just say that Paul is interested in comfort doesn't really, um, talk about the magnitude of really what he's saying by this by this word. Um, so that's all I had. Dad, do you want to talk about the um, the uh, content of Second Corinthians? Yeah. What slide do you want me to bring up or I can just go, go to black? Uh, and back up the, uh, the map. Technology, my Bible app doesn't work with the new iOS, so we have to download another Bible app. Bible app. Hey, we never had that problem. I know. I was, was going to get that for Jane. Jane was like, well, if you had a book, this wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> I just want to reiterate with Rebecca is that except this really is this is the fourth letter that Paul has written they have written him some letters in between so this is this is a back and forth discussion Paul Paul comes down to Corinth and remember the background of Corinth Corinth is a very very wealthy town today you know our problem is we tend to inter interpret stuff as we do today because Corinth is this little bump in the road now in Greece Athens is everything at the time of the Romans, Athens was a little backwater. Uh, Corinth was very, very, very important because all the ships, all the wheat that feeds Rome is grown in Egypt. It sails up here. Corinth, they have a roller where you put the ship on a roller and roll it over the peninsula. So it doesn't have to sail around here. It cuts days off the travel. So, and they, they obviously charge a toll for that. So the Corinthians are very wealthy. It's a very important place to roam. Uh, and then as you move through the entire peninsula, there's a, lot, there's a lot going on. And so you have, and the other thing to remember is that we're talking house churches here. So when Paul is there, we tend to view things the way we are, which is like, you know, there's this huge church in Corinth. And, you know, so there'll be 1 Corinthians, uh, Church of Christ, the Second Corinthians Church of Christ. The Church of Christ. You know they do it by roads, right? So it'd be the Athens Road Church of Christ. The, you know, the uh, Sparta Road Church of Christ. Uh, 
but they're all house churches. So you're, you're talking groups of 10 to 15 scattered among this entire peninsula. So the Corinthians are not uniform the way we think of as a church. So there are, uh, so probably what you had happening are house churches that are going like, like he talks about, well, we're, we kind of like Peter, the way Peter talked. And so you have a group of house churches that are more Peter. And then you have Apollos. And then you have Priscilla and Aquila were there. Paul was there. Uh, and then this is 20 years after the church. And you have, we know there are Jews there. Because in, in Acts, we read last week, the Jews are stirring up again against Paul. And they go in front of uh, the Roman uh, governor. And he basically kicks them out of court. Because by that point in time, he had already heard what happened in Thessalonica. And so he knows this is not, this has nothing to do with government. In his view, this is a argument amongst the Jews of how you interpret the Bible. And so he literally kicks the head of the uh, synagogue out and has him beat in front and, and does, not, does not stop the beating. That tells you what he thinks about it. So the church is, is much freer in Corinth than they are in Macedonia and Berea. And uh, Jews already had that reputation. They were kicked out of Rome right. in 48. Right. And, and this, yeah, I was going to say, and that's the, the other thing you layer on here, Priscilla and Aquila show up because they lived in Rome and got kicked out. Right. Jews were seen as uh, very, well, you love to have them as, an, as a slave because they could, the men could read and write. Why is that? Tell Well, because every Jew had to be able to read the Torah. So in an era where you're looking at maybe 5% uh, able to read and write, virtually every Jewish male could. And so they were great servants or slaves. They were horrible servants or slaves because they were constantly rebelling. They wanted to be free. The Romans... Uh, when, after they conquered this area, regretted it the rest of the Roman Empire because there, there's no taxes come out of here because they don't grow anything. It's mountainous. Uh, and they're constantly having to put down Jewish rebellions. To, to give you an idea, in the first 10 years of Jesus' life, so 0 to 10 AD, there were five rebellions in Palestine that required the Romans to mobilize their troops, come down here and put them down. And that constantly occurred. Uh, and then we know that you know, in 70, we had the big rebellion where they destroyed Jerusalem. And then in 135, there's another huge rebellion that the Jews caused that the Romans have to put down. So the Romans do not, they have a love-hate relationship with the Jews. And so they view Christianity as a Jewish sect. And so... Which, to be fair, that's what it started out as. Oh, yeah, it definitely started out as that. And, but by this time, the church is predominantly Gentile. But you used to have a, a tremendous influence from the Jews coming over. And a lot of what... Uh, Jewish theology at the time was very prosperity driven. And so the whole thing of, uh, and, and it fit in with the Greek philosophies, uh, sophistry, 
Uh, the, the philosophy is you were well-dressed, you were well-spoke. Uh, if you were a, a good speaker and a good... Uh, you, you talked well and you presented yourself well, people would support you. And so Paul, actually in this, the book of 2 Corinthians, talks about that. What he does, he flips everything on its head. Because what the, what the uh, Greeks were expecting was a well-dressed guy who would, after you gave a, a talk, you would pass the hat. And, you know, if people liked it, they put money in. And, so, and then you would have a house, and then you would, you would develop disciples who would come and pay for you to be their teacher. Paul flips that totally on his head the entire time he's in Corinth. And while he's in Corinth, he talks about the fact that he, that's where he meets Priscilla and Aquila, is down in the tent makers area, which is very blue collar. Uh, rich Greeks did not work at all. Rich Romans did not work at all. They, you hired, or you, you bought slaves or you hired people to work for you. So the, the ultimate Greek in Corinth, the rich guys, you would get up in the morning at about 10 o'clock, your slaves would already have cooked your breakfast. You would, you would get that. You would go down, if you're a man, you would go down to the marketplace and you would sit and discuss philosophy with the other rich guys in the marketplace. And Because we see that story in Acts where when Paul goes down, when he goes to Athens, that's what he does, is that the... Uh, The, the, he runs into some philosophers and they go, oh, you need to come with us to the marketplace so everybody can hear you. By everybody, what they mean are the rich, the rich guys. Uh, women don't count. This is in Greece. The men control everything. And so it's Paul talking to that. And so when he goes to Corinth, you know, he, goes, he always goes to the uh, synagogues first and then he gets kicked out because he's telling them the opposite of what they want to hear. And so in, so in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians, you know, he's, he's had a very rough relationship with the Corinthians. It, it's funny, it's one of the longest plate, you know, Philippi, he's there six weeks. Uh, Thessalonica, he may have been there six weeks. Berea, he's there a couple weeks max. Uh, Athens, he's there a very short amount of time. Corinthians, he spends 18 months there. He has more problems with the church in Corinth than he does any of the other churches and where he spent the longest. Uh, and so he has this back and forth relationship constantly with them is that uh, they are very money driven and they're very prestige driven. And Paul when you read all, you know, all his books we've read today, is he's very much, you're given this gift of eternal life. Your job is to serve. Your job is to serve. Your job is to serve. Every book that he writes, he comes back to that. He, he says that in 1 Corinthians. You know, the, the greatest of the things is love. What is love? Love is serving other people. You know, if the gospel in a word is, you know, when they, when they ask Jesus, what's the gospel? You know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and other people as yourself. That's the gospel. You know, if you're going to put it on a, a T-shirt, that is the gospel. Paul reiterates that 
over and over and over every time he writes a letter. The Corinthians don't like that answer. They are very much uh, about, they love him when, he, when, he's, when Paul comes to them and says, Christ has called you to, to freedom. The Corinthians loved that. What they didn't love is that he calls you to freedom so you can serve other people. They wanted to be free to do what they want. As the culture is, uh, we, we talked, I guess, was a couple weeks ago, you know, Josh Stringer was talking about I, food uh, sacrificed to idols. Everything in a Greek city revolved around the temple. All the food comes through the temple because that, that's where you would, you would get it afterwards. Now, these, these are urban people. They're, they're not farmers. So they have to buy everything they're eating. They're not outgrowing it themselves. So all this stuff's coming through the temple, and you know the whole thing of uh, where which temple you went to was kind of your was your crowd. And so Paul is creating you know these house churches and says you know your job is to be to serve other people. The antithesis of what a good Greek was. You know slaves serve. Good people rule. Prosperity theology again. You know, God puts me in a place and gives me money because I'm I'm good, and because I'm good, you know, I'm a ruler. You know, uh, first service today. Who's in first service? So exactly right. Mill of Mark. Uh, what, what did uh, James? You know, James and John come to Jesus and go, Hey, we we don't want to be the number one. But we'd really want to be number two and number three. Uh, you know, because we know you're real. We've seen your miracles. We know we're not you. But we want to be ahead of everybody else. And, you know, and that's, that was the overwhelming uh, thought of both the Greeks and the Jews. Of, you know, I, I'm not a god, but I am so, I'm a solid number two. You know, I want to be the right-hand man of God on earth. And remember, even and the Jews were still expecting the Messiah to rule an earthly kingdom, even 20 years afterwards. Uh, and, and Paul, so Paul, when he is talking with the synagogues, is constantly struggling with that. It's, no, Jesus came to be a suffering servant. You know, he came to serve us, not to create a kingdom. And so it's trying to 180 degree flip on what the average person thought. Hey, Jeff. Yes. So what he was talking about in the, the temples and, and sacrificing, Paul is kind of castigating those people for selling out and being a part of that temple, those temples. And that gets worse as the rise of emperor worship gets worse. I mean, Augustus was a he got divinity after he died. Julius got divinity after he died. A lot of, but when you get to Caligula, Caligula claimed to be divine. And it gets worse going all the way down to Domitian, which is Revelation, where it's Dominus et Deus. Domitian is God. And so, by the time you get to Revelation, you can't just go and buy your meat unless you have a mark, the mark of the beast. 
unless you have bowed a knee to Caesar in worship, you can't. That it just this. As I look at that map, I just get I just crack up because the whole New Testament is just right there. If you look at you know, so he's in. I mean, Corinth is a big, big deal. Athens, go over across across the way over there, and we're at Ephesus. He spent 18 months in Ephesus, developing that church. So then Paul leaves and he dies. What happens to the church at Ephesus? They're on their own. They've had Paul for 18 months. They don't know everything. So what happens there? At the diaspora, where they start kicking people out of Jerusalem, John says, I'm going to Ephesus. And John lives in Ephesus. And then look at all the Look at Ephesus, Smyrna, Sardis, Thyatira, Pergamum, Philadelphia, uh, Laodicea, Colossae. You see how that's a circle? That's a Roman postal route. That's also the route that John preached for his latter part of his life. He would go itinerant preaching. I just, I just love that. that that's incredible. Yeah, it's because, like I said, the the apostles are flipping the world upside down as far as what your values are, which is actually completely applicable to America today. Uh, you know, it's flipping up this concept uh, of the richer you are, the better you are. Uh, Paul just. He hammers that in 2 Corinthians over and over and over again. Uh, when you go to second chapter, he talks about, you know, I know you love me. Uh, but and I'm sorry I caused you pain. Because basically the letter we don't have seems to be extremely Paul was very based on Second Corinthians, he was very terse and he was very angry. It was you know when you're a child and you got home and you had done something bad and dad walks in the door you know we have my dad had a paddle hanging on the back of uh, the door that is in the kitchen where we store the, the pantry to this day when I hear wood slap wood my heart starts beating faster <laughs> and I get really you know, work because I know somebody did something that dad was about to take care of. That's the theme, that's the feel Paul probably wrote in his third letter. Is that dad is home, I got the paddle, we're gonna have a little chat. You know, that was always bad growing up when dad said we need to have a talk. And you hear that you hear the door open first. You know, that was not gonna be good. Uh, but that's that's the theme, the feel that Paul has in this the letter of tears is that he's going, you guys have completely missed everything. And so 2 Corinthians is much, uh, anger is not the right word of the, of the theme. It's more, uh, I can't say it, it's, it's very terse. He, he's not his usual Paul, I, you know, I love you guys, here's what we did together. It's kind of like going, all right, I was there for 18 months. I wrote, you wrote me a letter, I wrote you a letter. All right. Then I get word back from Timothy and Titus that you're having issues. So I wrote you 1 Corinthians. Uh, 
you ignored that letter. So I wrote you a really hard letter, the letter of tears. You ignored that letter. I came and visited you for a little bit. You ignored that visit. Now I write you another letter, and here's you better take you better obey this letter. And then because he, what he's talking about is uh, that he he takes his theology back to not that I'm the world's greatest preacher. It's he takes it back to Christ and says, you know, here is what Christ told me. Because a lot, a lot of the other unnamed preachers who are coming are going to say, Paul is not an apostle. What, what they say is, uh, around this time, Peter's roughly based in Antioch. We know John, by this time, is in Antioch. We know James is probably in Antioch about this time. So they're coming from, you know, you know we, were, we just came from Antioch. I just talked to James. I just talked to John. Here's what he says the true gospel is. Paul, Paul wasn't one of the twelve. Paul did not spend three years, four years with Jesus learning everything. Paul, Paul is just making this stuff up. That's really the core of what they're teaching. Don't believe Paul, believe me. And some of these guys were probably pretty smooth. Uh, and so Paul, he answers them in a, I get my finger flip, there we go. When you get to, uh, in Second Corinthians 4, Paul again defends his ministry, but defends it in, the, in a backwards way. He talks about, because typically, if you were a speaker in those days, you talked about how the great things that you have done. That I sat at the foot of James in Antioch. I sailed with Peter as Peter went through here. Uh, that's typically what you would say. And, you know, that I, you know, God, God loves me because he put me in this position where I with these great guys. And because I am bringing you the truth, you need to, su- you need to support me. Paul, on the other hand, flips it totally on his head. When you get into uh, chapter 4 and beyond, he starts talking about all the suffering that he did. And, you know, I, this is, you know, he talks about, I've been shipwrecked. I've been flogged by the Jews so many times that I have lost count, which I think is an interesting comment. Uh, and, very, you know, very much, so he flips it totally on his head and says, you need to emulate me because I emulate Christ. I'm a, I'm a servant, and I am suffering because I am telling you the truth. I am I shipwrecked. I've been beat. Uh, you know, I've been chased. They all know about him being chased out of Thessalonica and chased out of Berea because the same Jews came down to Corinth and started trouble there. And so everybody knows that Paul has been in trouble with the authorities. And so he's telling, you know, I, I've, I've suffered, and that's what you should do, because if you are being countercultural, you will, you will suffer as well, because the culture doesn't like it. And, you know, one of Paul's underlying themes is, uh, do think, you know, we talk about, you know, we're the church of Christ, right? Do things in decency and order. 
That's like one of our top ten uh, themes. That's Pauline. Paul talks about that. Uh, and the, the important thing is Paul, Paul presents Christianity as revolutionary. But it's revolutionary on an individual basis. It's, he's not calling the church to revolution, to revolt against the government, which is every Jewish teaching at this time. You know, Jesus talk, uh, John, Jesus, Jesus and Josh, they sound a lot alike. Josh talked about, yeah, Josh talked about the zealots this morning. They were a major political party in the time of Jesus. Their entire life revolved around overthrowing the Romans. And so a lot of these guys who would have come up and talked would have a lot of zealot leanings. And, you know, Paul talks about, I want you, you know, we, we looked in Galatians where he talks about, you know, there's not slave or free. Uh, you know, if, if you're a slave, here's how, you know, work like you're working towards Jesus. If you're a slave... Your master is not your master. Jesus is your master. Work like Jesus is your master. You know, if you're married, if you're a husband or a wife, you know, love, love your spouse like Jesus. So he, he calls you to a revolutionary lifestyle, but it does not, he does not call you to revolt. And in 1 Corinthians, when he talks about order and worship and, you know, a lot of this about don't sue each other, uh, marriage, uh, worship, what he's talking about is I want you to be revolutionary in how you treat each other. Treat everybody the same. Love everybody. Don't, don't look at the rich person and, and treat them better than you do the poor person. That shows up again in 2 Corinthians when he says you know, let's make sure that you're, treat, you're, you're changing your life but you're not rebelling against the government. Uh, when we get to Mark, uh, Luke and Acts, we're going to see that very heavily, that that story is not about, don't, the church is not here to overthrow the government. It's not here to, the church is here to change everything, but to change it on an individual basis. And so when, once you change enough individuals, you change the government. Uh, and, you know, like Randall was saying, at this point in time, the emperor is now God. And you had to, that's how you paid your taxes. You had to go to the emperor's temple, worship the emperor, and pay your taxes. Just after this period of time, uh, we have a series of letters from the governor up here uh, to the emperor. Because the Christian... He, what you have to know is, as, as the governor, you're responsible for X amount of taxes. If you fall short, the emperor can kill you. In fact, he will kill you. Because that means you're embezzling his tax money. The governor up here is falling short on tax money. And so he writes a letter back to the emperor and says, Hey, the reason that I am short is these, these, these gosh darn Christians. They won't go to the temple. There's so many Christians up here, they will not go to the, the emperor's temple and, and deposit their tax money. And so and he goes, I don't know how to make them go. He says, I've tortured two of them to death. 
and they still wouldn't go. And so, uh, so that gives you a feel of how the Christians, that, that, this occurs about 30, 40 years after the writing of Corinthians. But that gives you an idea of how Christians interpret that once they really bought into what Paul and Peter and James are teaching, how they, how they radically changed their lives to the point that they actually said, uh, yes, we're going to rebel to the point of put, being put in prison because we won't worship the emperor as God because Jesus is God. And that's very much the, the, the message of 2 Corinthians is he is comforting them because he was so hard in the missing 3 Corinthians. Uh, but at the same time, he says, you have to change your life. You have to look, look what I've done, not in a bragging stand way, but in a, because I'm a disciple of Christ, all these things have happened to me. And they're going to happen to you. And I can comfort you in your sorrow because Christ... In, in following Christ, these things have happened to me. And so that, go ahead. Is that whole area up there, Galatia and Bethany, is that all Turkey? This is now Turkey, yes. This all the way through here is now Turkey. But yeah, this area here, uh, we have letters from uh, Pliny the Younger, uh, who gets on the bad sides of one of the Caesars, so he gets promoted to governor. And the best part about it, when, they, when he made him governor, he said, oh, you have to go there. Uh, this, this area is very rough. It's on the end. Right here is the end of the Roman Empire. It's a very rough area. So he appointed him to that because he didn't like him. He was bothering him, so he kicked him up there. Do, do we know who, who um, evangelized up there? Who? No, we're assuming that, because uh, there's a very strong church by the, the 100, very, this whole area is very strong in the church because if you think about it, uh, when we come right here is Constantinople slash Istanbul, which becomes the head of the Eastern Orthodox Church in about 200 years. So this whole area is strongly Christian. And so... But as far as we know, Paul doesn't go any farther north than this. Now, we don't know everywhere he went. We don't know where Peter went. We know John preaches in here for an extended period of time. Uh, but there was a Johannine school after John died right. that lived into the 220s. Right. So there, I mean, the, the church is very strong, and so they are very uh, missional in that they are planting churches everywhere they go. So by the late, in the, the 70, 80s AD, this area here, this area here, all this is, there are churches everywhere. And there are very strong, in fact, like I said, there's so many churches that the tax revenues go down because they won't uh, go to the uh, temple of the emperor to sacrifice, which is how you paid your taxes. And so they actually, there's letters going back and forth that saying, how can we get our tax revenue up because the Christians won't pay tax? And then the same thing, they also quit eating meat because of the whole, you know, the, the idol stuff. And, so, you know, and some of our temples are losing money because Christians have quit buying meat. There's so many Christians, they quit buying meat and they quit paying their taxes. 
and I don't, I don't want my tax revenue. I don't want you to chop my head off because my tax revenues go down. It's not my fault. That's what the he writes ninety nine letters in a year, back and forth. And they're persecuted Christians by yes. taking them to the Roman Colosseums, and that did nothing but make Christianity more popular because the Christians were not like anybody off the street. They would when they had let the animals go, everybody would go. Ah! Christians would kneel and pray. People would look at that and go, I don't want to do that. Yeah. That's interesting. And I actually got to the point they quit putting Christians in the arena because it was not entertaining enough. They would just, they wouldn't fight. And, you know, they would just kneel, pray, and the, the animals would kill them or the, or the other gladiators or whatever. So, uh, so it's, it's very interesting. You, could see, you can see within 30 years after writing this, the, the Pauline thought of it's a personal. Christ, it's, it's a personal revolution. You were you change how you live your life has taken over this entire area. This is all by 100 to 120. This is probably majority Christian from what was. Uh, I mean, zero Christian, one percent Jewish at the time of the writing. All right, so next week we will see you. Uh, I'm doing uh, the book of Matthew next week. Because the guys are starting to die off, so it's now time to write uh, some more Gospels to tell the story.